0: Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce, the podcast that's here to explore the role of robotic process automation and other digital technologies. Whether you're just getting started or you're looking for advanced strategies and tactics, if you're curious about where human and digital workers are coming together to transform the future of work, then this podcast is for you. All right, let's get into the show.
1: Hello everyone and welcome this week to Generation Digital Workforce. This is Zena and I'm coming at you from Austin, Texas. I'm really happy to have Wonderbots with me today. Paula and Amal, how are you guys doing?
2: Doing well. Thanks so much for having
3: us, Zena. Yeah, Zena, I'm living my best life. Glad to be here.
1: Very good. So, I want to give you guys both a chance to introduce yourselves. Uh, Paula, ladies first, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and uh,
2: what you do? yeah sure thanks so much um so my name is paula Carneiro, and i uh, i sit in new york city when we're not in the middle of uh, the epicenter uh, right now i'm in morristown coming in live from morristown new jersey but i actually joined wonderbots uh, right before this so it's an, an interesting story and i'm happy to be here kind of sharing it and, uh, and my background is actually in process improvement so i worked several years for large multinationals i actually moved to new york from brazil four years ago with uh, RR Donnelly. So I have a a broad experience of operational work, primarily doing process improvement and focusing on the people and the cultural side of aligning end-to-end processes. So RPA was a natural segue in my career and I picked up the automation bug, as we all affectionately call it around here, and I haven't looked back since. So um, happy happy to be here with you and Blue Prism and and love to have joined um, Wonderbots this year. So I'm excited about our conversation.
1: Awesome. Well, welcome. This must be a, a weird time to join a new company, but we're we're very happy to uh, have you here as a partner with us. Amal, you've been with WonderBots a little longer. I know we had the pleasure of meeting each other a couple of years ago when I joined Blue Prism. Uh, tell our audience about yourself. Who are you? What do you do?
3: Sure, sure. So, Amal Williams, uh, Vice President here at WonderBots. You know, I lead sales and marketing here for the organization and then whatever Steve tells me to do. But my background, social, mobile, and cloud. I've done a little bit of analyst work and uh, heavy tech sales. So um, I think for me, this is now, I think I'm going into year number two, and we met at the Blue Prison sales kickoff. It was a great time. I got to meet everybody, and I haven't looked back since. I've been working with Paula now for a handful of months, and I'm so glad that she joined the organization. I'm just kind of looking forward to the future. So uh, I think it's the right industry. I think we're at the right time, and I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to have today.
1: Excellent. Me too. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting um, is, uh, you know, the RPA industry has been around for quite a while now. You know, we both just expressed that we've both been in it just a little over two years now. Paula's a little uh, later to catch the bug, as she said. But RPA as an industry, if you will, has been around for about a decade. We still only see a small percentage of businesses utilizing it, you know, today, though. So I'm curious, you know, why do you think that is, Amal?
3: So for me, I think there's kind of three things that we kind of run into around customer pain points for adoption, right? So I think the first of which is, you know, there's a perception about the time to value for customers, right? So the longer it takes for you to be able to declare victory, the inherent uh, perception of cost is going to be there. I think the second component is going to be a risk of failure. So companies are going to be somewhat risk averse to something they've never done before. I think RPA has generally helped me revisit humility, right? So. I understand that everybody wants to get this right but if we've never done this before it's hard to be discerning around what the actual best practice is so we need to help our customers understand that there is a pragmatic approach to this and for the customers who have kind of taken different approaches to adopting RPA the time to value is going to be a change for them so as customers go through the various stages right we all embrace ROM after they get past initialize it's really really challenging to scale up your RPA capability unless you understand what best practice is. And then I just think the last part is around scale. So it's the, uh, if you think about it this way, how many people have RPA as their full-time job, right? And the successful implementation, Viacoms of the world, gardens of the world, Equinix of the world, their teams are comprised of people who are working in RPA almost exclusively. And so I think what we need to do is a little bit of education for one. Two, uh, a lot of enablement and then for three we have to kind of cut through some of the noise that's out there as um debating us you know how there's ways to get this done i think there's uh, several ways to be strategic about what you choose to do first but tactically we should probably get past debating those points so i think for us going forward helping customers it's reducing the time to value right i think you inherently mitigate risk when you reduce time to value so if we can declare victory every 30 to 90 days i think the customers will feel more comfortable And then if we get customers to realize that RPA is not a part-time job and it is a full-time job, we can help them understand the value of that. Some of their concerns around scale will start to dissipate as they embrace, you know, RPA
1: as a part of their culture. I think it's really interesting that, you know, we, we, we have so many companies that are trying to scale and aren't. So, you know, setting aside for a moment those who haven't even gotten started, you mentioned ROM. For our listeners out there, that's the robotic operating model why do you think having a a foundation like that is incremental in helping businesses adopt, to use your word, uh, and really, you know, scale their practices?
3: So I would say that, you uh, you know, when I got first, I think I've been exposed to ROM now for about a year, right? And when I first got exposed to ROM, it was learning the nomenclature, understanding the roles, reading the job descriptions, right, and understanding the responsibilities by stage, When you're dealing with somebody who's net new to RPA, I think uh, they don't understand how much is actually involved from a upscale perspective, right? There's going to be new titles in your organization, right? You're going to need your head of RPA. You're going to need to uh, collaborate with IT, right? Because we know Blue Prism is uh, business-led and supported by IT. But people are going to be using different terms. They're going to have to create additional meetings. They're going to be working with different vendors and partners that they've never worked with before. So when you look at ROM, I think ROM does two things when I show it to people's one. It helps customers who aren't quite sure realize that they need to do more due diligence and get a larger budget before they take on this task. For the customers who are ready, when they look at ROM, it helps them. Lowe's is the perfect example. Once Lowe's understood that it needed additional skill sets, one specific skill set in particular, solution designer, they shifted their focus. So for mature companies who are trying to figure it out, it's a pivot. ROM is a pivot to say, I've done some of the right things, but there's a couple of other boxes that I need to check off. For the customers who are, who are net new to RPA, when they look at ROM, I think it, I hope that this is what it does. I think it lets them understand that there's not necessarily enough people at the initial party to get started. I need my head of RPA. I need my process owners. I need IT. We all need to understand the vision. We all need to get into the understanding of we're gonna be collaborating and work together much more than we did in the past on a brand new initiative. So when we take some of the guesswork out of it, and this is what I love, you know, it's like when the customer comes back and they start to sound like us, right? We know there's an, a level of adoption. When some of the roles that we talk about, the controllership, junior developers, solution designers, architects, when we start to see some of those business cards show up at some of our best customers, right, we know that they're actually embracing RPA, right, because they're no longer talking about it. Is, is this something we should take on? Is this something we should adopt? As soon as the business card changes, Darden, perfect example, you've embraced RPA, and it's a part of your, your, your business's footprint, you know, going forward. So I like ROM because it takes the guesswork out of who should be involved, I also like ROM because it has a measured view on how we declare success from initialized all the way up into institutionalized. So I think it gives a customer a playbook, a framework, and then more importantly, a codex for who should be involved. So people, process, what should those people be doing, and then uh, technological adoption and the onboarding process of robots from ideation all the way up into production. So obviously I'm a fan. So that's kind of what I think.
1: Yeah so it sounds a lot like human capital management but on the digital management side. So I'm curious Paula one of the things that you and I've explored before is your background in in you know capital management. I'm curious what you think about ROM being you know kind of more new and and being introduced to it and and how we can better leverage digital capital along with our human capital and how you know maybe if you're a strategic human capital you know consultant out there you should start thinking about how to leverage digital capital uh, in in your thinking
2: yeah, absolutely, and I think I think that actually segues nicely to that last question because you know, in my estimation, I think it's absolutely the misunderstanding of how the digital workforce and the humans are going to iteratively coexist in the future, right? And so, in my perspective, while you know, RPA you know as a standalone is fairly new, you know, I worked for a consulting firm where we were talking about the operating model being a nearshore model, for example, and taking parts of the accounts payable function, you know, and nearshoring them to Costa Rica. That's a disruption in your business and. In operating model. But what we're introducing with RPA, and again, I think the low adoption rate is just this misconception of what a transformation means, right? And and perhaps some change fatigue over the last couple decades of SaaS providers coming up out of nowhere, ERP migrations changing, million dollar projects gone fail. I think when a new technology was introduced, there was skepticism, right? And so now what we've gotten to is is a point, you know, a few years down the road of of both the service providers, the platform you know issuers and then all the analysts around all of this are finally kind of getting their grips around how this should be approached you know for example two years ago when i was talking about rpa with a new client we were trying to design the perfect proof of concept often when we're talking to people that are rookies or have not begun their program now we bypass that because we've already proven that the technology has worked right i mean you can you can google rpa at any moment and see 15,000 use cases that are going to be applicable to you and your business. So I think what I'm all said about you know the education component, we're still very much seeing that there is a demographic that isn't quite up to speed with that. But I think what we're seeing with this you know COVID-19 and, and it's it is a weird time to join WonderBots, but at the same time, it's it's a really great time to be in automation because I really think that that sense of urgency that that I was trying to evangelize from a people perspective years back and saying that you don't have the right skill set to adapt to what the future of work is going to look like. We're now seeing that at rapid scale, and and it's it's at a place where high volume surges and operational activity are, are at peaks that that leaders have never seen before, and so all of a sudden they're reverting back to oh I took that call with Paula last year you know what is RPA again and how can that fit in so so I think I think there's a couple things there and I think also but the main thing you know as per you know the the people side of things I, I really think the adoption is about understanding how it can apply to you and then making it individualized, right? It's not just about the enterprise, but how is the enterprise going to empower the future worker who's going to be working side-by-side side with the digital workforce?
1: Yeah, so so have businesses missed out if they haven't already started? I mean, obviously, you know, we're only a small percentage of businesses doing this today, and it's a huge competitive advantage. So, you know, for those that are ahead of the game, uh, those early adopters, they're definitely leading the pack. But have people missed the boat? What what do they do? How how do you, how do you get in? How do you get into the boat? What do you do? How do you even think about getting started?
2: Oh yeah, no. So in my estimation, so it's never too late, right? So we have people that quote did not miss the boat and bought licenses perhaps to get started three years ago. And the value prop that they have presented to their enterprises doesn't really justify what we would have suggested, right, or, or how we've done, we've done it. The other thing you have to remember, too, and, I, and I'm sure you guys have seen this on your side, I have, having worked for a couple of um, uh, partners in the RPA space, is that we've evolved as partners on how to best adopt RPA at rapid scale, right? The, the more, you know, that tools come out as well, we're rethinking the way that you should apply it. So, you know, so for, you know, for rookies now, the benefit that they have is all of our lessons learned. Right? So if you're starting on your RPA journey now, you get to check the box on, oh, that one time that we started with this particular process that was a fail. Well, you now have that data point to maybe save yourself some of the labor. The other thing that happens in Wonderbots, one of the reasons that I joined is is because of the rapid deployment. So in addition to being implementation partners of Blue Prism, we've also seen several requests along the way, and I'm I'm saying we affectionately, because I love that that when a client asks for something, odds are another client down the road is gonna need that something. And what Wonderbots has masterfully done, which I'm still wrapping my head around, all the different solution offerings that we have, is essentially automate pieces which are referred to as reusable code but are that that are actually applicable immediately so the rookies it's not too late to start and in fact it's a great time to start because all of us have done the footwork to help you realize where you shouldn't go and some of the places where we know you will absolutely fail if you don't follow these best practices so so i think i think the rookies are in a good place right now but certainly 2020 if ever there was a time to start it's now
1: couldn't agree more. So, uh, Amal, uh, give us some insights into where that low-hanging fruit is in the business. Where should where should so, you start you know, hiring digital workers?
3: <laughs> so, you know, I think I think it's 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 kind of, the two well, there's three compelling things, right? So, I'll talk about immediate impact in the current in the current new normal, right? And then I'll talk about um, how companies look at self-sufficiency versus max value. So Paula raised a great point about pre-built and reusable objects, right? I like to say that reusable objects deliver on the promise of blueprints, right? So whereas two or three years ago, when some of our um, earlier customers or earlier adopters like Salesforce and Equinix were looking at onboarding their first digital workers, some of those complex automations that we were doing in end-to-end automation around procure-to-pay or order-to-cash, because it had never been built before, we were building it for the first time. So if you look at an automation framework, there's low complexity, kind of easy to automate, simple things, 10 steps for a human doing it today. There's high complexity, 50 steps, multiple screens, multiple applications, and everything else in between. To Paula's point, what the customers are getting out of the Blue Prism relationship is that you don't have to wait nine months to have the same victory, right? If you have vision and you have leadership and you have a team that has a direction to go forward and adopt, you can capture that automation at a fraction of the cost at a fraction of the time, right? That's, that's kind of the value. So for the current state, we know kind of two things. People in the last recession, at least here in North America, they didn't have RPA as a solution, right? Uh, right before I got on the call today with you, Zena, we had one a, a very, very large deal come in from a company called Ohio Hospice for automation and revenue cycle management, right? They realize and they see that in some use cases where if you can just look at by giving employees 5% of their time back, you can impact the cost of your business by up to 50%. It's very important. So now we're not looking at, to Paula's point, I don't want to prove if the robots can work or not. I need to find compelling business cases that allow me to be more profitable surviving the pandemic but also coming out of the pandemic. So in 2008, right, some people lost their market share. Some companies went out of business. They didn't have RPA as a use case. In the current state, if you have revenue opportunities that you can't meet because of hold times, call time, time to customer, time to patient, time to students. You can solve that with robotics, but you need to be trying to solve those problems right now. Our CEO said, dirt flying out of holes. There's no COE, if I'm doing this on my own, that's going to come out of uh, these exercises without bruises. You have to learn, right, iteratively. You have to do 100 automation, and for the customers who are net new to RPA, you don't have to wait nine months to declare success, but the driver is going to be operational efficiency. The driver is going to be, can I reduce my time to customer time to revenue? And we can use automation to do that, but we have to find the revenue driver. So we can't, I think for me, the customers who may be left behind are the ones who are still trying to prove whether or not I should be doing OCR and cognitive technology. The ones who are trying to figure out whether or not I should migrate to cloud. The ones who are going to win are the ones that are automating those things that are crucial to their businesses creating greater margins and reducing the time for the customer so there's less friction, right? Take the call, return the products, order the new products, right? Uh, And then solve the customer issue. If we can do that through automation, which I know that we can do, those companies are gonna come out of this in a more favorable position than previously. And I think, you know, things like this give us the opportunity to take away the excuses from being risk averse. We don't have to worry about risk at this point because operation is already impacted. People are working at home customer behavior is changing. Net new markets are emerging, right? Traditional antiquated markets are starting to get a little bit phased out. Look at the airline, right? They need to embrace it. But there's also a lot of people now, and the good news here is that if we can get creative around adopting automation, not only will these companies come out and survive, they're going to come out on the other side healthier than they were prior to going into
2: Yeah, and i jump in and add to that you know the the quick and and short answers obviously you know and again this is a quick google rpa 101 you know high volume manual repetitious tasks right within an end-to-end process is always a great place to start but i wanted to share with you guys an anecdote from from a client once you know a, at an old firm so i won't mention names or anything like that but but i love this story because one of the qualifiers was what is the job? We already knew the AP Department was a disaster. So we already knew we were starting in that area. We had executive buy-in, all the check marks to to get this going. and And while they committed to a certain amount of of, of digital workers, what we had decided to do was poll initially since all the finance team was going to be on board and say what is the biggest pain in your rear and we literally started there because what we were trying to show and they they ultimately they've employed a lot of of digital workers since i left but but the importance there was to say how do you see RPA affecting you personally you know when you show up to work every day and, and in finance it gives you a unique place that robots you know and, and the digital workers can actually come in and take away those repetitive tasks that are actually you know the ones that that cause attrition so going back to your point about human capital employing a digital workforce has tertiary benefits that you don't even see like talent acquisition and retention you know you have all these young budding graduates coming out looking for a job the fun spunky smart ones are going to be going to organizations that are already taking care of the pivot tables for them right that already have a digital workforce employed that they're not sitting there trying to generate reports all day so i think it's a very important thing when you think about low-hanging fruit in the context of where you are in adopting low-hanging fruit might be we can't keep people on staff, right? But low-hanging fruit might also be a cash cost analysis, you know, answer as well. So it really depends on the organization, but it's but it's very important, you know, as we talk about this to, to consider the stakeholders involved and what's gonna be valuable to them, right? Not thinking about it in ROI specific terms, but what is gonna give you value? Um so again, high volume, absolutely, definitely start there. Finance is always a great place to start, but but it's interesting to start seeing the nuance. Is that, that certain organizations' cultures breed when they adopt RPA into their um, into their organizations?
1: Let's um, let's break it down just a bit and get a little bit you know m- more granular, if you will, uh, around uh, what a specific team might look like. So you know, Paula, you you mentioned iterative. Digital to human sort of the, how is that workflow going to work? Passing tasks, maybe back and forth. You also mentioned the AP department. So, so let's start there. What might an AP department look like if it were a mix of human and digital capital? What roles okay. might the humans and the digital workers have and and where would you see, you know, that overlap? And where would you see distinct tasks being able to be managed by each?
2: So, I'm gonna put you on the spot. To- yeah, I was gonna say, if you're asking me to do a comprehensive plan on how to redesign an AT strategy. Okay. Go. Uh, go, let's <laughs> be go. Um, so so how, about, how, about I, how about I dissect it in bite size, which I think is important to, to do. Um, and so let's take a component of the procure to pay process, right? And, and that's really the best way to think about RPA being iteratively interjected, right? So the procure to pay process is this long, tedious thing. Again, it's the best example of every single system, software implementation, Person has tried to solve with standalone solutions. And yet it behooves, you know, it it makes us all, you know, wonder what we're supposed to do, and, and our heads are still scratching at the end of the day, right? So take a piece of that process, and let's talk about um, a complex vendor portal, right? So let's say that you have an organization that that has multiple vendors with various input data. Perhaps, uh, you know, some of them send an email, some have purchase orders. Those are always nice. Some of them come in an attachment, and then you've got a few people that send extra little vendors. And then you know what? They go on Fiverr sometimes, too, and get a little extra, you know, work on there. So you've got all these multiple places, and this could be a small company. Managing the way that you're going to process each of those vendors is going to be unique. So that's a place where a human would need to have some logic-based work in tandem. But it doesn't mean that a robot can't aggregate all that data, bring all the input files to the worker and say, here are all the invoices that don't have a purchase order. What are you going to do about those, right? So that's a very small task within a very long process, but I think it illustrates the example that along the way, we're we're not trying to say that you know, RPA is going to replace all human activity. It's going to empower human activity to make those decisions that are actually going to impact the bottom line of the organization and can actually ultimately give the organization data that can strategically pivot them to stay alive in some cases. Right? And one part of that example, too, you know, a company that I, that I know very well, they had a big problem with, with you know, this, this invoice management piece. And what it ended up coming back to was a problem in in how their uh, onboarding process began. So, so we were able to, by just talking through how to iteratively interject a digital workforce, we saw a problem on the back end, and they were ap- able to capture revenue from a source that they weren't even paying attention to, and capturing back some of the chargebacks, some of the deals that they had with vendors, uh, and it wound up being a sizable amount that wasn't worth overlooking, right? So, you take it in bite size, but in each step of the way, I think it's a very, beginning it's it's probably you know human and, and automation and then there's tools like OCR I mean there's places where you can you know you can interject Abby here right and then and then the scanning can be done so take it piecemeal but but what we always recommend is looking at an end-to-end process and seeing where you find the quick wins within the end-to-end process and then rethinking your overall strategy knowing that you now have robots you don't have to do a qa check on the math anymore right um you don't you no longer have to take a peek at that journal entry and make sure that it matches you know what the erp system was intended to say so so that's one small example in a in a big long process but but typically that's what we suggest is starting with tasks and then thinking through the overarching process you know and how to better it along the way not just automate it but better it
1: i like that's a great example and good advice to think about tasks not necessarily Wholesale jobs being, uh, you know, automated necessarily, but pieces of task and how that, you know, in, intertwines with the with the human worker. I'm um, along the way. You've mentioned a lot of customer names. I've written them all down. It's amazing. Uh, the success. <laughs> the successes that that you and and your and your your customers have delivered to their businesses, amazing. Can you share a little bit more about one of those customer stories with us? You know, maybe maybe what they did, how you how you guys help them achieve success of brag about yourselves and your customer a little
3: me <laughs> You? i don't know, you know that
1: never happens I, you know
3: I, it's, it's uh can you guys i i think you know for me one of the ways that i look at it is that i sorry with uh, giving you some kind of credibility around the story without like outing people. But here's a fun story. And uh, Paula, you actually just interviewed Bill. That's why I love Bill. You're gonna uh, take away the
2: one, the one story that I have from Wonderbots? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
3: Hilarious. Hilarious. Take, it. Okay, so take it, take my story. The, releasing the stories. So uh, order the cash or credit card chargeback. So I, I like to go to the Capitol Grill uh, occasionally, right, <laughs> but uh, it, it has been uh, been informed that some people, when they go to Capitol Grill, uh, they don't always like to pay their bills. <laughs> and so, Darden Restaurant Company has a huge opportunity in the order-to-cash category around credit card chargeback. So, of course, me, you know, I'm, uh, I'm more about uh, nature versus nurture, right, so I believe that all people are good. But uh, my friends over at Darden informed me that not everybody who pays their bill has every intent of paying. So, one of the ways that we use robots in automation, <laughs> you know, my, I lost my credit card, I had too much fun last night, you know. Uh, my kids were at Capitol Grill, your kids are at Capitol Grill? <laughs> you know, and all these things that they're dealing with. So, <laughs> credit card chargeback and handling credit card disputes, there's one I can't mention, but let's just use Garden. There is more, air quotes, consumer fraud in that area than I actually was previously aware of. So, as an organization, for you to be healthy, right, are my financial statements accurate? So my receipt at the end of that business day, Easter, huge big deal for Capital Grill. They have this, like, fixed-price menu thing that I unfortunately subjected my wife to. She won't go back next year. My son loved it, right? But at the end of that meal, right, it's a large ticket number. What percentage of those patrons are going to contest that charge the following day, right? And if we take that and we multiply it across a 50-plus state footprint where I also owe tax, have I created a pocket of finance that I cannot account for? Right, So that's the, that's the insidious, sinister side of things. So credit card chargebacks, automation there for Garden that was a slam dunk, that's a home run. I can track down the revenue, but if I can at least reduce one, not only the number of disputes, the handle time, but the time to reconciliation or to resolve, that's huge. right? So we call them uh, bad actors, I think is how Steve refers to them. So if we, can ta- if we can target the bad actors and get them over to collections, we're giving time, but also money, more so granular visibility into the health of the business, That's what the value of RPA is going to give to those kind of folks. Making sure, I mean, this is an awesome use case, Scotiabank looking at creating propensity models using robots that incentivize the customers who have past due bills or bills almost due to take the correct action, right? If you send me an email to my personal account, I'm never gonna read it. If you send me a letter to my house, my wife will pick it up, be like, I'm all read this, I think you gotta pay something. So we have to find not only the channel to engage with the customer, but the message and the order and the touch. And as long as the models that are being done by the robots outperform the humans, which they typically do, <laughs> right? And we meet the confidence interval in supply chain finance, specifically more so order to cash, we're helping customers uh, of ours understand how much of their money is at risk, how to collect, right? How to deal with chargebacks, but also the wins that happen in a single area, right? There's three major areas record to report, procure to pay, which you talked about, Paula, and then order to the cash. If we can win in one of the areas of finance, which means I can provide material value to your business, I can help it understand its, its financial viability going forward, I can create pockets of liquidity, I can give you, trans, I can give you transparency around which customers you should be inviting back to your restaurant, you which ones you might not want to have come back anytime soon, these are wins that give you the momentum to grow. Now, on a very, very tactical level, these robots can do a 1,000 human tasks in 30 minutes. That's compelling. But if we don't find the tasks that are meaningful to the business, it's not compelling, especially in the now normal. So if I'm going to talk to hospitals, I need to talk about revenue cycle management. If I'm going to talk to credit cards or retailers, I'm going to talk about reducing their hold times using intelligent chatbots, diverting calls, but also dealing with returns and exchanges. So I don't, I don't want to keep going. The, the use cases are numerous, but all we really need to do is find one compelling use case, right? And if I get one compelling use case from Garden, I need to tell it to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten more Gardens, right? And from there, we earn the trust and we gain natural momentum. I think Lowe's is the only other one that comes to mind. I think where there's low-hanging fruit. With Lowe's, they were taking a path of self-sufficiency, right? And they had subject matter experts in their in their COE. They had technologists in their COE. They had infrastructure folks, right? And they had people who understood the business process. And they were trying to find ways to automate. They had a charter from above that talked about. Automations in production, the number of robots, what was going to be managed offshore, what was going to be managed onshore. They had all of these charters. But at the end of the day, if they're not meeting their charter, right, you can wait to the end of the year, right, and then report on the things that you learned and how you fell short, or you can have an intervention. So for them, their COE existed. They had, I think, uh, anywhere between 17 to 19 automations in production, but they took themselves back to finishing school. So they all went back through basic and advanced training. And as a result from basing and advanced training, as their people who had gotten recently certified were getting their uh, feet wet, they were using Wonderbot's resources to advise them right out of class on best practice. The so first automation is the most important. If that one doesn't work, forget about scale, forget about momentum, right? It doesn't take six months to identify processes, right? Choose one processes, right? Get that into production as quickly as possible, and then use that momentum to encourage other people to become a part of the, pro- the program. Part of our jobs is, you know, Blue Prism, Wonderbox, us working together. We want to uh, clear up the confusion. We want to demystify automation, right? And we want to let people know that everybody's not losing their jobs, right? <laughs> higher ed is my favorite, my favorite vertical to work in because when I walk into higher ed, the second thing I say, right, after I talk about, you know, the Blue Prism story is I say, hey, guess what? Nobody gets fired in this vertical, guys, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so let's all exhale and let's talk about end-to-end automation in AP because that means that schools can review more applicants, unless you're Stanford, because you want less, right? (laughs) You can review more applicants, right? You can process their loans, but guess what? You can actually invoice those customers, right? And those students. So if I automate those things and my budgets are flat, right? In the middle of Vermont, there's no new talent showing up, right? They have some legacy KPMG employees at their hospital. Like you gotta really love skiing. You gotta really love catamounts and you gotta really love that kind of a lifestyle. They have a hard time finding talent and their budgets are flat. It is literally the perfect use case for robots, but you can't have stalls or failed programs because as soon as a customer feels the pain or friction of RPA adoption, they move on to the next project and they should. So our job is to make sure that they understand that this is possible. Let's find the right processes, right? The Cypher helps us do that. The human way helps us do that. People like Paula help us do that. And then as soon as we land, we can expand once the robots get into production in a very pragmatic way. I know it was a long answer, but I get excited about this because I think it's real. And uh, once people realize that, They'll start talking to us like we talk to them, and the programs expand on that.
1: Yes. Um, well, I mean, the 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 you know, I guess to use a Texas term, uh, the proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, we have so many customers join, jointly between ourselves, yourselves, Blue Prism, you know, out there. As you said, Amon, and, and Paula, I thank you as well. You're no longer having to prove the technology. This is really just understanding how to take advantage of that digital capital and make it work for your business. There's so many success stories out there, you know, illustrated examples of how to do things that you can lift and shift into your business. If it's a different industry, you know, uh, business processes or business processes, as you mentioned, you know, managing a supply chain, managing talent acquisition was something I think you mentioned, Paula, you know, all of these things companies do, it doesn't matter if you're a manufacturer um, or a, a high tech company or a services organization, You'll hire people. You touched on something around attrition earlier. I've asked a few of our customers um, around attrition. I don't know if that's an area you've explored with any of yours, but, you know, natural attrition in businesses is typically around 18 to 20 percent, and, you know, when you compare attrition due to automation, it's typically negligible, um, you know, especially in comparison to that natural attrition. So before we get to the very last question that I always have on my list. Is there anything else either one of you'd like to, to add or, or to, to, to send our audience off with?
2: Final yeah, thoughts? Sure. So, so I know uh, the audience and, and the audience that I'll, you know, primarily share this with, I really appreciate you doing such a robust, you know, set of questions because my, my finance friends are really going to love this. But I thought this was really interesting to kind of bookmark what we've been talking about. So McKinsey came out with this data point saying that 40% of finance of the finance function can be fully automated. mostly automated. So that tells you that that iterative nature is very very true and and what that implies is not that the finance function is obsolete it implies that it's going to be a data driven function and that came from a panel I was on a few months ago discussing the importance of the CR or the CFO being very very close to the HR leaders uh, and really understanding that it's going to be a collaborative effort of really having a digital workforce you know infiltrate a, an organization in a successful value add kind of way so I thought that data point was interesting to wrap up our, our, our data point nuggets.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Let's uh let's look for in the future the first chief officer that is digital. I, I mean there there's something that's gonna blow somebody's mind someday, right? Um uh, robotics officer. Uh, I, think that, you, I think that's I think, the I next think
3: you created it. I think if you created digital capital management, I need to give you credit because I'm using it going forward. Um, but digital capital management is the way that we should be thinking about it and talking about it. And uh, Russ from Blue Prism, he talked to me about this. We're talking about one to 5% of these large organizations footprint being digital. And mm-hmm. if we can take that, I mean, just again, we're trying to make a shift to 5%. If we can do 5% operational efficiency, we can increase profit by 50%. Feel free to at me, I will, I will, I will challenge you to a duel because we can prove it, right? But <clears throat> it's not about whether or not I'm telling you the truth, right? It's about whether or not I can prove that these automations can give value back to your organization. And we know it. Check our references. How many customers do you guys have? Thousands. And they don't turn. But for us, we have to help our customers understand that the job is not to find the custom automation that nobody else has automated before, because there's only risk in that. Your job is to create operational efficiency by leveraging the learning from everybody else who's been a blue customer already and your reusable objects allow us to deliver on that promise so hopefully folks get that and if they do get that you know what they do they talk about meaningful transformation in their business and they declare victory every 90 days and the ones that don't you know they they, they make they write blogs <laughs> and they go on uh, <laughs> webinars talking about what's possible like we like to talk about what's in production so that's my last bit of shade but uh i love being here and Paula, you're right i think it's 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 there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there's 80 million jobs in north america that can be automated but none of that matters if we don't get the first one right
1: well you know even there's jobs i mean the jobs that can be automated there's there's jobs that are yet to be even created dare i say i mean invented i mean i'm in one of those roles i mean you know did you 20 years ago hear of someone with the title customer experience i don't think you did now there were people doing What I do, but we didn't have that title, right? I mean, everything evolves and happens. social media, you know, I mean, I hate to admit it, but, you know, I didn't grow up with social media. (laughs) This is all new and foreign to me. And uh, so, you know, it's like a social media marketing manager. That's a new job that. Didn't exist when I was in 2nd grade and, and yet here it is a, a whole profession who who would have thought that digital marketing would be what it is today. So I love to look to the future and, and, and wonder what's going to be. I, I wish I could be 1 step ahead so that I could make more money um <laughs> off of that but uh you know so um okay so we get to the end of my show um i don't i i hope y'all have listened to my show you might be somewhat prepared for what's about to come but we are now at the time of the show where it is my special my special question <laughs> my zena zinger and i do have a different one for each of you because it wouldn't be fair not to that's
2: the part that was the part that i was curious I about it
1: Paula's, Is going gonna, first. Paula's going it, first. Okay, okay, Paula's going first. Paul. <laughs> That's fine. Yes. Okay, if I'm a nervous digital… Nervous, because I have seen your show. <laughs> <laughs> um, if a digital worker were a first responder, what oh type birth. of first responder would they be
2: and why? Uh, they would be the intake specialist. So um, the first responder, you know, the, the person that goes and does the initial assessment, and then you know gathers all the data as so an initial you know cue of what it is the digital worker would be the person putting that input data into whatever system is going to accompany the ambulance to the hospital and that's going to have that all the way there ready waiting with every kind of patient record that exists on that person corresponding so that when they get there they have the best chance for success with whatever it is that they're first emergency responding to Love
1: that, and How she called. And, yeah, that was great, and I actually love that you that's responded to the,
2: that's 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 the that's digital that's that's worker as a person. Look, and, I mean, yeah, uh, if you personify it, I know we're on love recording, but I mean, I think about them like robots. You think about it like like a friend that has your back. You know, it's not i know. daunting. Ours it's have names. Daunting.
1: I mean, here at Blue Prism Mars have names, right? We have Sergei, we have Beatrice, we have Charles, we have a Diana. You know, you're seeing the theme here, maybe of these British royal names. I don't know, but um, uh, but yeah, no, it's fun to give them names too, and then and then you say, oh well, Charles did that, and you're like. Oh, okay, yeah. The, the Charles is who issues licenses, <laughs> uh, by the way, for uh, Blue Prism. Right? So there's a little insight. Um, okay, so i all over to you. If oh a digital worker, uh, you, you're gonna have this is gonna be fun for you. If a digital worker were an athlete, uh, what kind yeah. of athlete would they be, and why? Oh, so
3: the lazy answer is a chess player, right? Because uh, robots are better than the people, right? So, chess, so sorry, that's a layup. It'd be a test. math elite.
1: That doesn't count. You have to you have to it, it you have to no? breathe hard no. while you're doing whatever I, oh. it is. Okay. okay. Can you pull a hamstring? Can you
3: pull a hamstring while you're playing chess? I'm not a chess player. Obviously. I
1: don't think so. <laughs> you might be able to, but
3: Oh, oh so a digital worker being an athlete. All right, mm-hmm. what is the most strategic sport that's out there besides driving? Uh, NASCAR. NASCAR, drifting, uh, curves, acceleration bumping. But so think about the nodes, right? So the sports that I played, there is very visible. And if I made a mistake in football, I could just blow something up. In NASCAR, when I make mistakes, I hit the wall and the race is over. So if I'm a digital worker for the uh, ability to process multiple modules in a very, very short fe- period of time, human in the loop because I would like the driver to be there. <laughs> but, uh, that's just those two things work together right um but i think if it's what's the most strategic most surgical besides chest i think it would be race car driving i know they keep taking left forever but there is some nuance in there that people overlook <laughs> that's,
0: parameter
2: files. that's parameter files yeah. That's files. totally it
3: is. It is. It have, we have f1 racing digital. here we have f1
1: <laughs> racing here in austin and they don't just turn left by the way they turn all different so directions I was,
3: try, I, was try, I was trying i was trying to be i was trying to be a little more lower level because uh Oh on, sorry. I, <laughs> sitting here doing... I was trying to do like NASCAR because I feel like F1 is like, you know, the yacht of racing. That's where all the fancy people live. <laughs> the yacht you know, of racing. <laughs> I, don't get, I don't get that like that. So I would say <laughs> racing for the bottom of the propensity to avoid crashes so that everybody else was safe. But I also think, too, outside of chess, the only other sport where I think a robot would perform exceptionally well, because I know that it's happening in medical science right now, would be either archery or long-range uh, rifles. Those are the two that I could think of. I like NASCAR as far my those are my final answers.
1: I like NASCAR too. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with NASCAR. Um, yeah, we'll put an 88 on it and we'll call it done.
3: Oh, I love it. I love it.
1: cute, very cute. <laughs> very cute. <laughs> oh, you guys, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you today. Um, I really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, let's uh, let's do this again in a couple of months.
2: Sounds great. Like Thanks it. so much, Vena, I appreciate your time.
1: right thanks guys everyone out there in listener land thanks for joining have a good day
0: You've been listening to Generation Digital Workforce. If you want to hear more about RPA, AI, and other cognitive technologies that are shaping the future of work, join us next time as we continue to go deeper on these topics with industry innovators and experts. To make sure you never miss a future episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you've liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. It's one of the best ways to help more people find valuable content. For show notes and more more info, visit us at blueprism.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.